0: I'm afraid I'm going to hit that with my head. I believe they've already left, but if we have any children still with us this morning, I'll let them head out as well. We are going to be continuing in our road to, to Calvary and watching as, as, as Jesus makes his way to Jerusalem for, for First Palm Sunday and then Good Friday and then Easter. And so we are going to be looking at Matthew chapter 20 today, and we're going to be reading the first 16 verses of Matthew chapter 20. So if you would, please turn in your Bibles to Matthew 20, and we'll pick up in verse 1. And as you get there, I would ask that you please stand for the reading of God's Word. And the Word of God says this, it says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for the vineyard. And when he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius for the day, he sent them into his vineyard. And he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And he said to those, he said, you also go into the vineyard and whatever is right, I will give you. And they went again. He went out about the sixth hour and the ninth hour and did the same thing. And about the eleventh hour he went out and found others standing around, and he said to them, Why have you been standing here idle all day? And they said to him, Because no one hired us. And to them he said, Go into the vineyard too. When evening came, and the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last group to the first." When those who were hired, about the eleventh hour came, each one received a denarius. When those hired first came, they thought that they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they grumbled at the landowner, saying, These last men have worked only an hour, and you have made them equal to us, who have borne the burden and the scorching heat of the day." But he answered and said to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what is yours and go. But I wish to give to this last man the same as you. It is not lawful for me to do what I wish with what is my, with what is my own. Or is your eye envious because I am generous? So the last shall be first and the first last. Please be seated. Don't let your ice cream melt while you're counting someone else's sprinkles. Have you ever heard this before? That's Scripture, yeah. This is a quote that is very popular in my household. And what it means is that we should not be so focused on what other people have that we miss out on the good things that we have already. And while this is something that may be said in my house when we get overly concerned about how many uh, cinnamon rolls everyone else got to eat or how many chicken nuggets are left on the plate after everyone has eaten some of them, I feel like this is something that, that may be something we say to children, but it is something we need to hear as well. We might word it a little bit differently. We might call it something like the comparison game. Keeping up with the Joneses. Let me say, it's a stupid game, isn't it? The comparison game is a game where we make a ton of assumptions and we always lose. We compare things like jobs, kids, clothes, hair, Vacation. Home, home decor, the cleanliness of our home, all sorts of things. The list goes on and on. We live in a generation where we can scroll through things like social media, whether that's Facebook or Instagram or, or TikTok or whatever it is, and we can envy other people. We can compare ourselves to other people and the way they present their home, the way they present their kids or their yard or their vacations or, or a thousand other things, and we begin to compare ourselves to them, and in doing so, more often than not we feel rotten amen and sometimes this slips into church too doesn't it we begin to play the comparison game when it comes to our our walk with the lord and our involvement to church and and the things that that come with ministry we start to compare things like spiritual gifts This person's such a gifted teacher. This person's such a gifted speaker. This person's so good with with kids or with youth. We compare ministries. Well, my Bible study only has three people, but this Bible study over here has 12 people. We compare success. This church is growing by leaps and bounds, and our church is struggling. This church had a massive revival. In this church, we can't even get people to show up on a Wednesday night. We compare blessings and experiences. This person went to a concert and just the Lord spoke to them so, so, so much and they were so moved to tears. I wish I could feel that way. And sometimes that comparison, that comparison game leads us down a path of envy and resentment and we find ourselves angry at them and angry at God and angry at other people that we feel failed us and we feel like we failed. And in doing so, we often miss out on the opportunities that God has presented to us and, the, and the, the realities and the blessings that God has already provided us. See, our passage today is a parable that I think could be summed up in not letting our ice cream melt while we are counting someone else's sprinkles. And I hope that as we look through this parable and as we begin and we continue down this path to Calvary, that we will recognize that the comparison game is always a losing game. And that we will learn to rejoice in the God who loves us and the God who cares for us. So as you've already figured out, we are looking at a parable, and I, I love parables. In fact, I'm teaching through several of, the, uh, of Jesus' parables on Monday nights as a part of my home group, and, and really the, the, the first thing we need to understand is what is a parable. I know for some of you may know this, but others you don't. Parable is a story. Jesus told a lot of stories in the Bible. And he did this for a lot of reasons. One, he wanted them to understand deep things, and it was good to use a story to help understand those. Two, is because he didn't want some people to take what he said and to take it too far. So if he put it in a story, they had to spend more time thinking about it than just blindly doing it and judging other people for not doing it. Often, a parable in the Bible is a story given by Jesus to communicate one spiritual truth. See, a lot of times we want to kind of overdo the parables and we want to give every character and everything meaning and we want to sort of like create meaning out of the things they didn't even say. Like notice how he didn't say this and this means that. Don't do that. But we take the parable for what it is and we take the parable for for what Jesus communicated and often he tells us what we're supposed to learn from the parable in the context and in the midst of the parable. I always tell my group on Monday night that context is key. And before you try to dive into what one of Jesus' parables means, you have to make sure that you've read around it and you understand what was the situation, what was the context, to whom was He speaking, so that you understand where it's coming from. Now to do that, we need to look back one chapter, so flip the page back to chapter 19. And if we look at verse 16, we look at a story in the life of Jesus that is uh, very familiar to us, and that is the story of the rich young ruler. And so if you don't know the story, I'll I'll tell it to you. There was a, a, a man that we have kind of called the rich young ruler... In scripture and it's because from one passage in, in one gospel says he's rich or they kind of all say he's rich and one of them says he was young and one of them says that he, you know he had property so he was kind of in charge of things and so we put that all together and we call him the rich young ruler and this guy comes up to jesus as he's making his way to jerusalem and he says teacher what do i need to do in order to obtain eternal life it's a good question what do I love? I love how actually uh, the Gospel of Matthew says it. He says, "What good things shall I do to obtain eternal life?" I love that question. He's like, "Give me the deed." Do I need to? Can I give some money to charity? Will that get me into heaven? Can I build a house for a Levite or a priest? Will that get me into heaven? Can I make a neighborhood? Can I, I build a, a, a whole community for? For uh, people with leprosy outside of town, if I built a a whole leprosy community, would that get me into heaven? What good thing do I need to do so that I can go to heaven? That's what he's asking. And Jesus answers him. He says, keep all the commandments. Just keep the commandments. If you can keep the commandments, you'll go to heaven. Rich Young Euler comes back with him. And I love this question again. He goes, well, which ones? That, that's a great question, right? We can all understand that question. Keep the commandments. Well, he knows, he knows what the Torah is. He knows it's book after book of command after command. And there's so many in there. And he's like, just, just which ones? Tell me the absolute must follow so that I can get into heaven. Which commands do I have to keep? Which commands do I have to have in order to get to go to heaven? He tells him. And the man responds, oh, yeah, 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 I did that. I'm good. I did that. And I'll be honest, like we can laugh at that, but I know people like this. Honestly. They grow up in the church. They learn the rules. Don't don't drink or chew or go with those who do. And at some point, they go to VBS a few times. They go to church a few times. Maybe they say a prayer. Maybe they get dunked. Then they get into high school and they get busy with sports. You know, They play football. They play basketball. They're, they're on the track team. And they get caught up in sports. And then they, don't do, then they don't go to church anymore. And then after that, they go to college and they go somewhere where, where they don't know anybody that goes to church. And so they don't go to church anymore. And then they, they get into their adulthood and, and church was something that they did when they were a kid. And if you asked them, do you believe in heaven? They'd go, yeah. And if you asked them, do you think you're going to go to heaven? They'd go, yeah and they go okay why do you why why do you think you're going to go to heaven they go i keep the commandments and if you flipped it on them and you said which ones what do you think they'd say yeah they'd say all of them (laughs) I'd i'd laugh at that one they'd say never killed anybody i don't cheat on my wife i believe in god i think i'm good that's the mindset of the rich young ruler. I think I'm good. But in the off chance that I'm missing something, seeing as how you're here already, can you tell me what's the secret sauce? What's the thing that I'm missing? He asks it this way. He says, what am I lacking? What is that one thing that I can do to really put me over the, over the limit with God? What, what is that thing I can do, that one thing I can do that will really put me over the top that I can just be no, that I can do whatever I want to from now on because I've done this, I'll, I'm going to go to heaven. There are people like this in the world today. And they would probably tell you they're Christian. And so Jesus responds in the one thing that was going to rock this guy's world. He said, sell everything. Everything you own, sell it. Don't just build a community. Don't just give a a gift. Don't just add an addition onto the synagogue. Here's what I want you to do. Everything you own. From your vintage baseball card collection to your amazing collection of DVDs and Blu-rays to your entire your entire garage full of fishing gear everything you own sell it give the money to the poor follow me he hit him where it hurt and it says the young man went away grieving because he owned much This led Jesus to have a conversation with his disciples now that the rich young ruler had departed about the relationship between wealth, and wealth means more than just money in the bank, but having all the things and following God. It tells them how difficult it is, which is completely contrary to what they thought at the time. In fact, what they thought at the time was is if you were wealthy, clearly God had bestowed just heaped favor upon you. And because you have so much stuff and because you have so much money and so much land and so much productivity, because you're so successful, clearly you are closer to God than other people because God is blessing you so. Jesus begins to tell them that the, actually the reality is far from that and that those who have wealth, it makes it extremely hard for them to be able to really follow God and trust in God and pursue God. And to this, Peter does what Peter does. Talks. And if Peter is talking, he's probably wrong with one huge exception. When he said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Peter opens up his mouth and he says, look, behold, we have left everything and followed you. What then will there be for us? And I think this question is the thing that leads us into the parable. This whole, this whole parable we've just read about, uh, about these, all these workers and when they came in and all that stuff, this was not a parable directed at Pharisees or at scribes, people trying to challenge Jesus or question His ministry. This was a parable directed at Peter and the disciples and the people who followed Him, which means if you are a follower of Jesus in this room today, this is directed at you. jesus tells peter before we get into the parable that they will in fact be rewarded that there is blessing that comes from this but in the midst of this he also tells them something else and i love this if we go back to the the very end of verse 19 he says starting in verse 29 he says and anyone who has left houses or or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or farms for my sake that he will receive many times as much and will inherit eternal life. And then we get the but. And he says, but as many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. You'll notice not only does he see this in in Matthew chapter 19, verse 30, but then he says it again at the end of our our passage together this morning in chapter 20, verse 16. So our parable is explaining this very concept of the last being first and the first being last to the apostles, to the disciples. All right, so now that we got the context, let's look at the parable itself. Our parable begins with a landowner who needs to harvest his crops, specifically his vineyard. Could be olives, could be be grapes, probably grapes. He goes out early in the morning to hire workers in order to harvest the crops. This is a common practice. If you did not own your own land, you lived in a village, it would have been very normal, especially during this time of year, that you would make yourself available at the market and people who did have land, who did have crops that need to be harvested would go through and start picking people, as many as they needed, and send them out into the fields. And that's how you would make your money. I've heard stories, I have a very clear memory of talking with Junior Wallace, and, and he grew up in this area, and when it hit summer around this time of year, he knew that during the summer he was going to spend every day working in somebody's field, and it only back then it wasn't that they went around and grabbed him, his, his dad sent him off, and he would go work, and I'm sure that's, that's common of a few other people that maybe remember living in this area when the summer hit and there was stuff to be done, and we didn't have all the combines and all the things like we did, you sent people out. And I remember Junior Wallace telling me how he would spend all day pulling corn off and doing that and, and also telling stories about how he you know, stole somebody's watermelon because it was hot and they were hungry. And they would do stuff like that. It's not that un, we're not that far from removed from this type of idea. And so he goes out and he gets those people and he sends them out into the fields to work. Throughout the day, the landowner goes back, back into the market and recruits more people. He wants to get the work done. He's willing to pay in order to get the work done. It says in our parable that he went early in the morning. We could assume this would be in the first hour. Then it says in our parable that he goes again in the third hour, the sixth hour, the ninth hour, and then finally in the eleventh hour. Depending on your translation, it may present those as he went out at about 7 a.m., 9 a.m., Noon, 3, and then about 5 p.m. Finally, when the sun was setting, we could say around 6 p.m., he calls the workers in to pay them their wage for the day, and he asks that the newest workers come to get paid first. These workers had only worked, as our, as our uh, parable says, had only worked about an hour of the day, and yet, having only worked an hour, they received a denarius. Now, a denarius represented a full day's wage in biblical times. That was just kind of the understood thing. If you worked a day in the fields doing whatever, that you would get a denarius. And a denarius was worth a full day's wages. Whatever we might think of that is today, that is what they, had, they were given. It was a significant amount of money that would represent roughly 9, 10, maybe even 12 hours of work today. As they move through the people, finally they get to those who had gone early in the morning. And as you think about it, that if you were someone who had gone out into the field at seven in the morning, and had worked throughout the entire day, and you've got to this point about six in the evening, you've worked, give or take, about 11 hours. You've worked a long time. And not only have you worked a long time, but you have worked during the hottest parts of the day. You have worked far more than anyone else. And you were working when there was nothing clear and it was first beginning and and there wasn't anybody else there to help. You have worked. And imagine for a moment that you have worked 11 hours in the heat and in the sun and you are hot and you are sweaty and now you're being made to wait. And so you're just standing around waiting to get your pay so that you can go home and you're hot and you're sweaty and you're dirty and you're tired. And then you see the guy who has only been there an hour. He's not even sweaty. His clothes look fine. He's doing good. And you see him walk away like, I can't believe it! I got a full day's wage for only an hour of work. I love this guy. I'm going to work for this guy any chance I get. And they're so excited. And you're hearing that as you're waiting. And they get to go home and they get to go home, and then you see the people that have only been there for a few hours, and they're saying the same thing, and they get to go home, and you wait, and you wait, and finally it's your turn. It would be totally normal and natural for every single person in this room to be thinking, we are surely going to get more money. Right? We are surely, we are going to get more money. We have worked. We've worked 10 times more than the first people, over, over twice as much as most of the people. Surely when we get up there, He's going to give us even more and it says that the first workers thought that they would receive more so imagine their surprise when we look at verse 11 it says when they received it the denarius they grumbled at the landowner i think we get this we understand the grumble. We understand the feeling of being robbed and cheated. We understand that we, that we have done the work. We have done most of the stuff, and yet we're getting the same pay as someone else. I, we would say today, I have never felt more disrespected in my entire life. I'm livid. But We have to jump back a few verses. And look again at verse 2 said he went to hire the laborers for his vineyard. And in verse 2 it says, And when he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius for the day, he sent them to the vineyard. See, these were the first people the initial laborers in the whole process. But what we have to remember is when they met with the man and the landowner said, hey, I need workers. Do you want to come work in my field? They would have said, how much are you going to pay us to go work? And he said, I will pay you a denarius for a full day's work. And they said, that sounds fair. Where am I going? They'd agreed to it. And yet now they're not satisfied with that. Now that's not good enough for them. Now they feel like that's a a disrespectful wage. Why? Not because they had not agreed on it. Not because he had changed the term of of their agreement. Not because anything had changed. The entire day, they knew they were working for a denarius. What changed this from being a fair wage for a day's work to an injustice? Comparison because they were focused on what other people had been given and not what they had agreed to do and i think this leads us to the point of the parable the meat of the parable is in the conversation between the complaint of the workers and the response of the landowner as we begin with the complaint, it says that the workers began to grumble and they said to the, last, to the landowner, these last men have worked only an hour and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden, of the, of the, of the burden and the scorching heat of the day. Essentially, they were whining to the landowner saying, but that's not fair. We did all the work. We did the heat of the day. We were the ones sweating. Why are we getting the same? You like them more than us! Notice they're not saying, you promised us more. The landowner did exactly what he said he was going to do. But they were so focused on other people that they were counting their sprinkles instead of being blessed by the ice cream that they had been given. These workers' attitudes and behavior, this or excuse me, these workers' attitude and behavior was directed at Peter and the disciples and us. I have to point back to Matthew 19.27 where when he says, And Peter said, Behold, we have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? And I think implied in this passage is we left everything and followed you first. Because he wanted to know See, this is the thing. Peter, and, and, and Jesus knew Peter's heart, and so Jesus is putting this in here as he's saying, Listen, you did leave me and follow, did leave everything and follow me, and you did, you did come alongside me, and there is a blessing and a reward. But Peter, you need to be careful and not think that you are owed more than someone else. That just because you were first does not mean that it should be more. Peter wanted to know that his reward, that what he got for following would be greater because he followed longer, did more. And we are tempted to do the same thing. When we look at our spiritual life and when we look at our walk with the Lord, there is a temptation within the people of the church to think that if we have been here longer, that we deserve more. And I have to speak to myself in this one. If you're one of those people that might say that you were raised in the church, or you've been a Christian for a long time, there is a temptation to think that we deserve more or better or an easier life than other people. I've heard it said, now we say it differently, But we might say something like, I've been a Christian for a really long time. Why do I still have to deal with this stuff? Have you ever said that? Because I've said that. And there's sometimes we get in this mindset or we get in this, there's a temptation to think that because we follow Jesus for a long time, that we should be receiving more blessings and more favor and more warm, fuzzy feelings from Jesus than someone that maybe hasn't. And the problem is, is sometimes we will begin to look upon the new believer and what God is doing in their life with envy and bitterness and resentment. And we'll begin to ask God, Why? are you moving why are you letting this person's ministry just thrive why are you letting this church this church over on the other hill grow why are you doing all of these good things over here and not doing them for me god haven't i been doing this jesus thing forever jesus i don't drink i wear a tie on sunday i've gone ever since i was a kid Why aren't you doing all these good things for me? God, that's not fair, and I don't like it. 1 Corinthians 10 12 says, Let he who thinks he stands take heed so he doesn't fall. And I would say to you today, in light of that verse, I want you to know envy is a tricky thing, and it's a tricky sin. Because sometimes in the midst of envy, we want something good. But we're focused on the wrong thing. We, we get caught up in envy, not because God's not doing things in our life and God's not working in our lives, but we're so focused on how God is working in someone else's life and how God is blessing someone else in someone's season that we begin to think that even though God is blessing us and he is taking care of us and God is doing wonderful and amazing things in and around us, we can't see that because we're so focused on someone else. And so envy, though a tricky thing, can be thwarted by moving our gaze from others back to the generous God who graciously saved us from our sin through Christ Jesus. It makes a lot of sense when Scripture says that we have our eyes fixed on Jesus. Because ultimately, when we allow our eyes to fix on anything else, we will become envious and frustrated and even angry and bitter. Because we don't have what they have. This leads us to the owner's response. I want to read these last few verses again. He said, he answered and said to one of them, friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what is yours and go. But I wish to give to this last man the same as you. Is it lawful for me to do what I wish with what is my own? Or is your eye envious because I am generous? Jesus said, so the last shall be first and the first shall be last. In essence, He's saying, friend, you are getting what was agreed upon. My generosity is, does not take away from what you have received. See, we have to remember and we have to really focus in on the fact that we serve a generous and loving and forgiving God. This parable reminds us that the promises of the Bible are just as true for the sinner who repents in the final hour, on the final day, as it is for the sinner who repents as a child. And that the promise of God, that the good news of the gospel is as true for Peter as it is for the thief on the cross. In Luke chapter 23, starting in verse 39, we read this. It says, one of the criminals who was hanging there was hurling abuse at Jesus, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us! But the other answered, rebuking him, and said, Do you not even fear God? since you are under the same sentence of condemnation, and we indeed are suffering justice, uh, justly, for we are receiving what we deserve for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he was saying, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you today, you shall be with me in paradise. Does it get any more 11th hour than this? To on the cross. Moments, hours at best from dying. The thief says, remember me. And Jesus says, you will be with me in paradise. See, this thief did not get one day to walk in repentance He did not get a single go and sin no more from Jesus. He did not get to say, Lord, you know I love you like Peter did after he denied Jesus. He did not get to say a prayer of salvation, go through the baptismal waters, get his name put on some church roll, and yet Jesus promised him that today you will be with me in paradise. Now let me ask you this, are you envious of the man of this thief on the cross? Do you think that you deserve more than He does? I am confident, and as we look at it in this context, that you would say, of course not. Of course not. That man recognized who Jesus was and he, he surrendered himself to Jesus even without saying all the right words or all the right prayers. And, and he got to be with Jesus in the kingdom. He got to be with Jesus in paradise, in glory, in that moment. And yet we will be envious towards our brother and sister in Christ when he is doing the Lord's work or when he is going through times of blessing. Why compare your life and walk and blessings with others? See, when we look at the thief on the cross, we rejoice knowing that it doesn't matter how late we come to Christ. If we come to Christ, we receive the blessings of a relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen? Then let us look at our brothers and sisters and rejoice in that and rejoice in the fact that they are also experiencing those blessings even if some of them are this side of eternity. For God is generous. And He is still moving in the people around you, He is still moving in you, He is still moving in this church and in other churches, and we have to rejoice. When another church is growing, a good Bible believing Christian church in our community, we rejoice. When our brother and sister in Christ starts a new ministry, goes on a a new journey, and, and we see the blessings and the fruit of that, we rejoice. When we see God do amazing and fantastic things in the life of other people, when they have breakthroughs in sin that frees them from captivity of something that has been hindering them forever and and they are walking in newness of life, we rejoice. We don't get mad. We don't become envious. We don't grumble and complain. We rejoice. And we pray. We pray that God will show us the ways that we have let envy into our hearts. We pray that God might use us to share his promises with those who desperately need to hear them. We pray that we might realize that we have been offered all these gifts freely through a relationship with Christ Jesus. And we pray that we might surrender our lives to Him. And you know what? Your walk with Jesus is not going to look like her walk with Jesus. And your walk with Jesus is not going to look like His walk with Jesus. And all of us are going through things. And more often than not, even when we think we know what someone's going through, we don't have a clue, do we? And I cannot tell you how many times I have known people who everybody would have said, they are the most, they like they they are the most spiritual. I just wish I was like this person is the same peer people that come up to us and say, I am struggling. Will you please pray with me? See the p- comparison game leads to grumbling and to envy and to sin and to anger and to bitterness. And when we focus on the sprinkles on other people's ice cream, we miss out on the fact of the matter. And the parable tells us what the fact of the matter is. The fact of the matter is that the landowner was generous. And the fact is for you and I today is that we serve a generous God. Who is loving and gracious, eager to forgive and to do a work in our lives? Focus on Him. If you are with us today and, and, and you've been caught up on the, in, in maybe the whole Jesus thing, and you're here and, and you've not and, but you're trying to you're looking at us. I'm just letting you know you're looking at us and you're trying to figure out what this Jesus thing is about. I want to challenge you today. Look at the Father. Look at Christ. Look at who He is because He is a generous God who loves you and wants to forgive you of your sin if you would just cry out to Him. If you're here today and you have, just feel in, this, in just the, the, the depths of your stomach that you've got bitterness and you've got envy and you've got jealousy and, and you've got a lot of anger in here, And maybe you are starting to recognize that the reason that's there is because you've been spending all of your time focused on other people. And none of your time focused on Him. I want to challenge you today to repent. Repent of playing the comparison game. Repent of counting everyone else's sprinkles. And celebrate the fact that you follow a generous God. And when we've done that, let us rejoice, for He is good and worthy to be praised. Let us pray together. Our gracious God and King, Lord, we recognize that You are the landowner in our parable, and that You are generous. And it doesn't matter whether You call someone in the last hour or in the first hour, the reality is You called them. And if you called and they answered, then they become a recipient of your generosity and a recipient of your blessing. Lord, I pray that we will put away jealousy and comparison in this church. Lord, that we would not be envious and and jealous of one another. Lord, that we would not be envious uh, of other churches. That we would not be envious of people in the world. But Lord, we would fix our eyes on You. And we would recognize that You are a generous and loving God. So much so that You sent Your one and only Son. That He died on the cross for our sins so that we might inherit the promise of a relationship with You and an eternity with You in heaven. Father God, if there is anyone in this room that You are calling into the vineyard today, Lord, if there is anyone in this room, and I don't care if it's at the 11th hour, I don't care if it's at the first hour, if there is anyone in this room that You are calling to the work, that You are calling into the vineyard to enjoy Your generosity, God, I pray today is the day that they would respond to that call and that they would follow you, that they would believe in Jesus and become a follower of the Christ. Lord, for the rest of us who may already be in that vineyard, Lord, I pray that we would put away envy and jealousy and that you would show us how to focus on you so that in all that we are and all that we do, you might be glorified and that the world might know that we serve a generous, loving, and gracious God. Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.